the text of that song, that hymn, is so relevant to the sermon today. Don't put your horns away because I want you to come and play that for us again at the end of the sermon. Because I want everyone to rehear and re-see, so Nick or sound booth folks will keep that wording ready to go again in light of this morning's message. Super encouraging. Thank you. Don't get distracted by what this old world's doing, my friends. It's fleeting. The Bible says it's passing away. Their old lusts, they're going to do. You can't change it. Right? More people getting saved is not going to save the world. The Bible says the world is doomed. It's quickly passing away. We have a mission to reach as many lost souls as we can with the love of Jesus Christ, but the world's going to die anyway. His kingdom is forever. So take good courage that we serve a living living and risen Savior. And we will reign with him. And we will enjoy he and his people for all of eternity. But only if you know him. If you don't know him, you'll die with the world and it'll be an eternal death. And there's no coming back from that place. The old rich young ruler found that out in Luke 16, didn't he? Hell is very real. Eternal condemnation and judgment if you don't turn to Jesus Christ to be your living and real Savior. It will be real for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe exclusively in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Such an important, the most important profound message for the world to hear. And it's so simple to understand and yet so hard for us to, to embrace. Right? But hopefully the world's been chaotic and crazy enough for you where you're kind of tired of looking around and maybe God's imploring your heart to look up for once. Amen. And find your salvation in Jesus rather than these temporary fleeting things of this old decaying, dying world. Amen? Amen. Good. Now, 2 Corinthians 4. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's bring to remembrance the history of the flock of Corinth. At a very spiritually rich beginning in Christ. And in time they fell prey to the influences of the world, worldliness. And Paul writes to them a very, very harsh letter to which they respond well to. I know you would call the agony of soul Paul endures back in chapter number 2 where he awaits to hear the report from Titus as to how the Corinthians were doing in relationship to his first difficult letter, rebuking them for their worldliness. And we know that this flock was very dear to Paul's heart. And having heard of their repentance and restoration to fellowship with the Lord and with one another, Paul knows that the influence and temptation of religious externalism is always present in a church. He knows there's a remnant of performance-based professing believers among the restored flock of Corinth, and, and this small remnant of false professors is now 
negatively, severely and negatively influenced the flock of Corinth. So this flock moves from being influenced by the world without to religiosity within. We walked through all of chapter 3 and learned how Paul directly addresses the seeds of religious doubt that have been planted by the false ones within the church, these hucksters of their faith. And Paul is confident they will receive these words of warning and explanation well, having already known from Titus the Corinthians' reception of his harsh letter. And I think it's incredibly important to remember how missional, at the same time, the Holy Spirit intends the context of the early parts of this second letter to the Corinthians to be. Ever since chapter 2 and verse 14, there's been this reminder that the Corinthian people restored to fellowship and now restored to confidence in Christ away from religiosity, that they're a part of this gospel triumph. And Paul calmly and certainly marches forward, rebuilding this case for the new covenant gospel life that Christians are to enjoy and to promote in the way they live. This brief reminder of the history of the Corinthians' restoration back from worldliness and the influence of the infiltration of mere religion into the context of any church reminds us how gospel debilitating both can be to any flock. The world and its allurements are incessantly seeking to distract you from your gospel purpose. Many of us are feeling that in the last 10 months, aren't we? You find out what or who your gospel really is in times like these. The world and its allurements are incessantly seeking to distract us from our gospel purpose, our spiritual reproductivity, and religion that's focused on externalism and human performance is equally distracting away from both as well. These two will always remain enemies of the gospel. It's wise for everyone to be permanently pondering those two potential realities worldliness and religiosity distract us from gospel reproductivity and at this point I think it's also vitally important to again realize how not just missional but applicational the person of the Holy Spirit intends to be here beginning in chapter 4 all the way through chapter 5 and verse 10 how he saturates the text with personal pronouns to remind us that each one of us is to be spiritually and therefore convictionally drawn to the importance of our own spiritual health in regard to worldliness and religious externalism. God does not want any one of his children here this morning to miss out on the intimate and particular joys of living a gospel-driven life inside and outside of our local church together. You can go back on your own time and underline all the personal pronouns used since the beginning of chapter 4. But let's just quickly underline their use in our context this morning. You see one in each verse. There's this continued collective call of you as an individual and then us as a church to make sure that we are confidently considering these things. The second word of verse 16 in verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us. The second word of verse 18, for we look. And again, go back all the way to the beginning of chapter 4, and you'll be overjoyed to understand how Paul invites the Corinthian church individual and then them as a family to this personal way of working together in gospel living to protect themselves again against worldliness and performance-based Christianity which is really works salvation which the Bible calls a, a cursed gospel three times in three verses I believe God wants you to know how personal again he intends the application of the confident hope the believer is to have 
as they live their gospel lives together. So Paul begins our passage this morning with the word therefore, but we've already read. The last time he used this word was in chapter 4 and verse 1. Where he uses another phrase, we'll see here again in verse 16. We do not lose heart. In 4.1, having thoroughly addressed the problem of the infiltration of mere religion and its influence in the church in chapter 3, with the word, therefore, he announces they should be encouraged and moved forward in their gospel lives with confidence. As difficult and sometimes life-threatening this gospel life is, as we saw in the paradoxes in chapter 4, verses 8 through 12, we do not lose heart because of the surpassing greatness of the power of God on our behalf in Christ. And having explained this, he now explains our confidence in Christ by transitioning our hearts from enduring a gospel life here to focusing on the gospel promises enjoyed by us after our gospel life is lived out on earth. So the second use of the word therefore since chapter 4 and verse 1 transitions us to the spiritual confidence as we look ahead. And as we look ahead, there's three things the Lord wants us to joyfully and confidently grasp in this small passage before us today. I mentioned is really developed through chapter 5 and verse 10, which we will consider together over the next couple weeks. And this is the first spiritual reality he wants us to embrace, and that's our personal spiritual compensation. Hang on with me here, right? Personal spiritual compensation in verse 16. When I started banking as a teen, I mowed lawns and I delivered newspapers. And uh, my dad was one of those dads that uh, taught us a good work ethic. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. And my dad happened to apply that to us when we were teenagers. He also encouraged us to start a savings account. He always encouraged us to give the first fruits of that to the Lord. So I would go down here off of Bellflower down here on Hawk in Texas, we had some little lawn mowing business, and we would make 60 to $70 a weekend, and he would make sure that 10% of that went right to the Lord in the Sunday school offering on Sunday, all right? And then the rest we would put in a savings account to start saving for our college education. I remember getting my first banking statement in the mail and asking my dad why there was this small amount of money that was added to my account. And he said, well, that's interest on your bank investment. And I was elated. It's like I got some more money for free. Oh, back then you earned more than 0.000001% in your savings account. <laughs> in a spiritual sense, that's, what Paul's headed, that's where Paul's headed here in verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. You study this, clear, this little phrase clear back to the first century, how the Corinthian people would have heard it. Um, uh, it's Luke in Luke 18 and verse 1 where he says, men ought always to pray so they don't lose heart. It's not just so they don't lose spiritual confidence, it's so they don't give way to sinful temptation. In other words, what he's going to focus, as he focuses our eyes and our hearts ahead here, saying this, this focus will keep us, as prayer does, from losing heart and falling to our own sinful propensities and our fallenness. We do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day having this treasure in earthen vessels that we've already studied in chapter 4, having this glorious promise of a resurrection that we saw up in verses 13, 14, and 15, having the assurance that your gospel testimony is spreading to more and more people, as the text told us previous to the one we're studying this morning, 
and that there's a natural, supernatural thanks to God being given by others who receive your gospel, we don't lose heart. And based on our immediate context by grace, we determine to not give way to worldliness or religiosity, performance-based faith, or our own temptations personally. And though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is renewed day by day. Paul's already recounted for us the intense affliction his body had endured. You remember that. You know how these scars have long-term consequences on the, spot, on the body, especially as you age physically. But there's another more influential reality in his person that overshadows the decaying of his external body. Our inner man is being renewed day by day. The word or the root of the word renewed here is where we get our English word brand new. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, which we'll study in a few weeks. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become brand new. That word is the root of this word being renewed. It's showroom new. It's spiritually new car smell new. So we can have this physical pain and agony of having lived a faithful gospel life and wake up every morning with those aches and pains, but yet look forward to a joy that far overshadows those aches and pains as we walk with the Lord and enjoy the Holy Spirit's divine illumination of the word to our hearts on a daily basis. And those aches and pains fade as our hearts are made brand new by the Spirit of God and the study of the Word and our growth and our relationship with our Creator. We are permanently made new in Christ at salvation, but there's a, a consistent practical renewal the Holy Spirit brings to the saved heart as our old bodies are still breaking down and decaying. Each day God desires to make your heart practically like new. I guess it's like a spiritual detailing, if you will. If you walk in the Lord, walk with the Lord in personal study of his word, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Every one of us this time of year always we're inundated with hundreds of diets, right? To consider in the new year. And most of these diets, if they're worth their weight and goals, said the most important meal of the day is what? Breakfast. Everyone knows that. So no matter when you break fast, right, we know that breakfast is the meal that's necessary to make our day worth living. Our time of spiritual breakfast is a renewal time that makes our day worth living for the gospel's sake. We're renewed. Every day we need early, practical, spiritual renewing and having these assurances that we saw last time together in verses 13 to 15 certainly we are compelled to be renewed tomorrow and the next day and the next day you know every spring i can't wait to get my car detailed and cleaned up from the dried up salty slushy grime of winter that's both inside and outside the car how much more we long for our souls to be made new on a regular basis. I think it's necessary to notice here that Paul is not dividing our person here by stating part of us is decaying while the antithesis is happening in the other spiritual part. He's addressing the whole of our person and inevitable realities of both. One, because it's physical and affected by sin and it's dying, and the other, 
is happening and it's completely spiritual. It's being made new, newer on a daily basis. Both are inevitable as we walk with the Lord. While there's something greatly devastating happening to part of us, there's something much greater occurring to another part of our person. The two will never be separated. And while the grace of God always uses the greater to affect the lesser, and the lesser to affect the greater. Remember the context the Corinthian church is in. There are enemies to renewal right inside that church. Worldliness and religiosity. Those are always enemies to renewal. So there's a compensation of sorts here. You make the investment as a person in gospel living with your body, it's going to have a consequence. It's going to fail. But as you walk with the Lord, it will pay spiritual dividends through being made new by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 3 real quickly. Let's kind of read how Paul describes this renewal in another context to the Ephesian church. Ephesians chapter 3, let's look at verse 14. Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. wise investment to make, isn't it? It pays rich spiritual dividends until we realize our reunion with our Savior. And secondly, in verse 17, as you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. The largest fire in Yellowstone National Park history was in 1988. 36% of the park, about 793,000 acres were burned. A prominent tree in the park is the lodgepole pine. Something extraordinary was discovered about that tree as the forests tried to endure the extreme heat of the blaze. Just as the tree... The lodgepole pine tree was about to succumb to the intense heat and die. The tree sends a signal of imminent death to the pine cones on the tree. And the cones explode, sending millions of seeds all over the forest, the forest floor to germinate and regrow the landscape over time. Notice Paul's joyful wording here of our personal gospel reality as believers in verse 17. There is not just a personal spiritual renewal going on here, but he says here our momentary light affliction is producing for us something of much, grand, much more grand value, an eternal weight of glory. Someone said that renewal is a constant production of solid, lasting glory, an eternal weight of glory, out of all proportion to the slight, present affliction that causes us physical weakness. Beyond all comparison, the New International Version says here, it far outweighs any light and momentary troubles that we are experiencing. Hold your finger here and go over to Romans chapter 8 and verse 18 and you'll see familiar language in relationship to this process as well. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. Paul says here again, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared 
with the glory that is to be revealed for us. So our momentary light affliction is producing something. Literally, it's constantly producing not just spiritual renewal in the here and now, but an eternal otherworldly glory as well. Hang on with me here as we continue to go on. What is this otherworldly glory? Go over with me to another Pauline text in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. We'll give a little context here by going back up to verse 3. He says here, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Colossians 1.3, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope that is laid up, your translation might say stored up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. So go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So as in verse 12, if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 12 with me, we'll go back a couple verses. Paul says, so death works in us but life is working in you. And in verse 16, if you remember, right? In verse 16, there's outward decay, but much more inward renewal. So here in verse 17, the idea of proportion is realized again. Temporary light affliction is compared to something that infinitely far outweighs that affliction that's temporary in value. It's an eternal weight of glory. Someone said the greater affliction that Paul suffered, the greater glory that was being produced for him. And so the same for us. What glory is this? My friends, it's the glory the Son shares with the Father having himself been physically afflicted unto death. Peter says that we are partners in the suffering of Christ. We have a, a fellowship in the suffering of Christ. As he's afflicted for who he was and what he had done, so are we in him. John chapter 17. I know we're jumping around here this morning, but I want you to go back to John 17 and Christ's high priestly prayer because there is a shared glory on a finite level that the Lord Jesus Christ has on an infinite level and we share this with him as co-heirs as adopted children in his high priestly prayer Jesus said in verse 1 of chapter 17 Jesus spoke these things and lifting up his eyes to heaven he said father the hour has come glorify your son that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that you may, this is eternal life, excuse me, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world even was. As Christ was afflicted, and we share in the sufferings of Christ, and we realize those even physically in our frame, so the glory of Christ we will have as Christ has. And it's not a temporary glory. It's of a forever kind, a new body, a sinless new frame, a 
mind and a heart no longer affected by wickedness or darkness. A position as co-heirs with Christ reigning in the kingdom, worshiping in the eternal state. And all the promises for God that were Christ's are also ours. So as the heat of affliction intensifies and you feel you're about to be consumed, God's grace bursts forth for us with an eternal glory shared with the Son of God forever. So it's no doubt in our minds why, Pete, why Paul in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 told us to make sure that our affections are not set on things in the earth. Set your affections on things above where Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. Where is your gaze this morning? What's discouraged you in the last 10 months? We used to do wrestling for physical education class in high school. And, and quite frankly, it was, it, was a, it, was, it was a class I looked forward to. I was just a guy, I had a lot of energy. I grew up in a Christian home. We were trained in Christ to live peaceful lives. And I did my best to do that. But there was something cathartic about wrestling class. <laughs> you know, just being a guy, right? And uh, there was only two moves I ever learned. And uh, boy, if I could get a guy in a particular headlock, right, I could roll him and I could pin him. Now, we were a small little parochial Christian school, so we didn't wrestle by weight class. And I was the biggest guy in the room. So this was a beautiful class for me. There was one guy in there that he could, he wasn't as tall as I was, but he was much wider and he could hurt me. But I could just remember, you got that, got that opponent in that particular hold around his neck, it just virtually paralyzed him. He could do nothing. But you know, that's the way some of you have been this last year. You've been, you've allowed yourself through not living wisely to become paralyzed. To be put in a, a neck hold, a choke hold by things that are temporary and of this earth. And you completely lost your spiritual reproductive way. We've been long since removed about pondering these future eternal things and making that a habit of our living that we'll see here in verse 18. But it's never too late to do right and to now set your affections on things above. Knowing that it's no surprise what's happening to the world and it's no surprise what's happening to your country. It's just a nation full of a bunch of broken, unregenerate, hell-bound souls. But you can be renewed, should be renewed. But we, together, can consider these things. Pull yourselves out of what's got a grip on you and distracting you and pull yourself back up to renewal. Pull yourself back up to spiritual reproductive purpose, my friends. I love country that I've grown up in just as much as you. I was reading an uh, article, or what you would call it, written by the father of the Reformation, Martin Luther, and he, he said in there that 
I can find out anything I want to know about the world by closing myself up in a room and just reading my Bible for hours. We don't have to go out and let the world make us worldly. The Bible tells us all about it right there, only with proper spiritual guidance. Sometimes I think we've been distracted way too much, my friends, by finding out about the world here, right here. Television screens, by the way, newest Pew Research poll, the average, the average time a human sense spends in front of a screen now is 13 hours a day. Now some of you say, well, I have a job that puts me in front of a screen at least eight of those but five more hours in addition to that. And we wonder while we're in this grip of discouraging distraction. Paul had it much worse. He had it much worse. And yet he says grace compels him to do what? To consider this affliction light and grace allows it to produce for us this understanding of glory to come. And the word wait here, folks, in verse 17, actually in the first century would have been heard negatively. This would have been something that was an unbearable weight to carry. But he puts it in positive light. He said this momentary temporary affliction pales in comparison to this weight that normally would not be able to be carried, but now is carryable, infinitely so, by God's grace. And it is much heavier in glory than the agony of physical affliction and what we experience in this old world. So from spiritual compensation to verse 17, realizing our spiritual motivation to verse 18, realizing our spiritual realization or our personal spiritual realization. He says in verse 18, we, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. One of my favorite authors I was reading this last week, he said, when we ask the present to give us what only eternity can give, we end up driven, frustrated, discouraged, and ultimately hopeless. So as we continue our final thoughts for today, I believe this is what Paul is trying to say in verse 18. What is he looking to confidently realize? In Pauline fashion, he starts this negatively and finishes positively. While we look, that word look here just simply means to ponder to sincerely consider. So apparently Paul is describing how he uses his time during his day. He's meditating on something of great eternal value here. It was this determined, disciplined focus that kept him from enduring constantly, facing frustration, discouragement, and hopelessness. And he says here negatively, not at the things that are seen, the things that are seen, they're, they're not going to be around forever, right? Second Peter 3, they're all going to burn up with fervent heat in the day of judgment, right? The Supreme Court, burned. White House, burned. Everything your eye sees, including this old earth, is going to melt into the furnace of God's judgment because of its sin. It's all temporal. Paul says here, that's not what I'm pondering. I'm not carving out time in my day to consider something that's not going to last long at all. This is what I'm going to do. But at the things which are not seen, the things which are not seen are eternal. A.W. Tozer in his book says this, the unseen world is the Christian's real world. Amen. 
Again, that's why Paul tells us in Colossians 3 to set our affections there. I pledge allegiance to the kingdom that is to come and the Savior who will reign, who is my Jesus. I carve out my time to ponder that. We consider this undissolvable <laughs> unseen reality for us in John 14, 1 through 6, where Jesus said, Don't let your hearts be troubled. If you believe in God, you also believe in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. We consider the joy of the whole eschaton, the whole future of a believer's existence in history to come, that glorious future the Lord has for his church, commencing with the next great event on the Christian calendar when the Lord imminently returns in the clouds for that glorious reunion in the air, which could be today. We ponder that. We invest time thinking and meditating on the greatness of the millennial kingdom to come and our placement and participation in it under the authority of King Jesus. We compartmentalize time in our day to ponder the truths of Revelation chapter 20 and 21 will Satan will be bound for those thousand years and no influence of wickedness will be able to thrive even for a moment in that time of that kingdom where Jesus will reign with that rod of iron his pure righteousness on all the earth we live the faith of the saints of Hebrews chapter 11 if you'll go over with me there as we close this morning Hebrews chapter 11 that we considered together in prayer meeting several weeks back In verse 10, those familiar words speaking of Abraham, for he was looking for a city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Verses 13 and 14. This great cloud of faithful saints it says here, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have not had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better place, a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And verse 27, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Faithful people ponder. Faithful people consider. Faithful people carve out. They quarantine themselves to meditating on these glorious promises to come. Therefore, being largely successful, being undistracted, or held down by the cares of this passing world. Certainly the unseen world is the Christian's real world, but it remains our first world struggle to make sure we always pursue the pondering of our real world to come. Therefore being the most joyful, most optimistic, 
souls on earth. I mean, right? Man's best efforts to save man in the last 10 months The best of men's best efforts to save man in the last 10 months, nationally, medically, whatever. What? No satisfaction. Always conflict. Want to know why? Because the old world's dying. It's passing away. And it's not going to get any better. And 5G and technology is just going to make it roll down the hill even faster. And I don't say that to discourage you because Paul says here, right in verse 18, go back with me, it's right there. Maybe we should read it together. Maybe it would be good for me, be spiritually therapeutic for me to read it with you because I need this, right? What's the first? Let's just read it out loud together. Verse 18. And when you get to look, I want you to think ponder. I want you to say ponder. Here we go. Verse 18. While we ponder... Not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Cross-reference all those texts. Study your Bibles. Get a Bible doctrines book recommended to you by Great Lakes Bible Institute on eschatology and carve out in your schedule weekly to ponder these unseen things. It will change the way you live because it'll change the way you think. And you'll know renewal. (laughs) You'll know renewal. And you'll know this eternal weight of glory. And my friends... Of all times, of all Sundays, for a sermon like this with this content, it's been great for me. I hope it's been encouraging to you to get us distracted to the right place more consistently, guys and gals. Really. I mean, like, really. Like, really. Like I've told you before, turn it off. Stop looking around. Look up. Anything that's seen that discourages you, get your eyes off of it because it's not going to be around forever. Are you hearing me? I know I'm going a couple minutes over, but we had the Lord's Supper. But folks, really, I'm just pleading with you as a pastor Do you remember the worship wars that started with whether churches should have pews or chairs? Remember that years ago, some of you? People thought the church was losing its sanctity because it got rid of pews and it went to chairs so it could fit more people efficiently? Both are going to burn. Is there anything sacred about this box? It's going to burn real well. It's wood. (laughs) I've got to preach behind a pulpit. Oh, really? God will burn it. He'll show you. You can preach anywhere. There's a lot of good things that we can use for God's glory. I get it, but they're still temporal. And we can be affixed or fixated on those things to the point where when they're gone, it's like slaughtering a sacred cow in your life that you realize you were actually distracted too much by a good thing. You weren't setting your affection on these things. Anything that you can see, Paul says here, you can utilize it if it's of moral value, but don't ponder it all the time. Think on these things. And you'll know renewal, and you'll know spiritual reproductivity, and you'll know joy. (laughs) Folks, 97% of American evangelical churches 
either closed or split in half in 2020. 97%. Why? Because they refuse to consider and ponder these things. And they ate themselves and still are eating themselves alive. Paul says, no, be renewed. Consider this far greater eternal weight of glory. Ponder it. Live there. And in renewal, no spiritual reproduction. The saddest reality in the world today is that there are souls who are dying and going to hell today. That is the saddest reality in today's world. And they're all around you. And that might be you this morning. I don't know. <laughs> Let's focus on eternal things. You, my friends, have been doing a great job at that. <laughs> I'm preaching with a little bit more passion probably because I struggle with it. Right? And I'm going to need you to help me continue to struggle well by considering and pondering the things that we should be. Focusing on spiritual renewal as our old bodies decay more and more as we serve the Lord. Okay? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for your sufficient grace that we studied last week together that not only saves us but underpins our ability to to live for you every day of our lives in every practical way possible. Lord, we certainly embrace the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul this morning. We're so thankful for them, not only as we live in the here and now, but even knowing the assured promises of the life that's to come. May we as a church discipline our minds, starting with this person, to obey this portion in our daily lives more consistently. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.